is a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is the 24th of November 2008. Uh, for the newcomers out there, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and go over the vast amount of information that's there on the reality of the complete system uh, that runs your life and most of your thinking too. Your topics of conversation, even your hobbies. Also look into Alan Watts sentinel.eu and download transcripts written in the various languages of Europe. You can print them up and pass them around to your friends. And the matrix, I say, is a big illusion. Uh, a Plato's cave. Plato wrote about how to basically grow people in a cave and give them a complete sense of a false reality, which they'd never question. They'd think it was the truth. It's all they knew. And even when a person broke out of the cave and came back and told them there was a big world out there and told them the real reasons for the shadows on the cave and so on, the people would rather kill the, the bringer of bad news than listen to them or even attempt to go out themselves and find out if it was true. That's what people experience when you try to wake people up. When people do wake up themselves spontaneously, which generally is the end product of a long search personally, but spontaneously they, they freak out because they want to tell everyone what they know. They think it's just a matter of talking and presenting the facts. And that's all there would be to it in the common sense of people would make them act and wake up and it floors them to find out that the people they're telling don't want to know it terrifies them even more and so they freak out further and become angry with those people because they feel like they should shake them and somehow through the shaking the people will have a, a new knowledge for truth and understanding it does not happen that way it takes a process to break out of a lifetime of conditioning. You don't know that long ago, long ago, back in the 1700s even, and even before, governments ran countries, especially countries like Britain, under a science, a very old science that they got to from the Middle East, from ancient times. And they knew how to create culture, they knew how to give the people festivals. The Catholic Church worked hand in glove with kings and queens. And in fact, many kings and queens were appointed by the same Vatican. It was a fixed power structure stretching across the planet, but mainly throughout Europe. And they gave the peasantry hard toil under a feudal system uh, that was sanctioned by the religion of the country. And the peasants would get, get the occasional holiday where they'd let off some steam. They'd roll in the hay. They'd think they were making merry 
and having a great old time before they go back to their toil and doffing their cap to their master when he rode past on his big horse. That was the feudal system. And somehow we're being conned, mainly in the 20th century, that the feudal system had gone its own way of the dodo bird. But nothing again is further from the truth. That is another Plato's cave was developed to bring the next generation up in to give them a reality. And that was the reality of the emerging nations, as they called it, nation states, with power for war. And I'll be back with more after the following break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting to the Matrix, discussing how Plato's cave can be rebuilt or upgraded for the times. And I mentioned before the break how the big powers that were grabbing empires and creating empires and looting countries for their own already existent international corporations simply saw the time coming when they'd have to go for the whole planet. Uh, that way they, they set up the League of Nations. They had to get World War I going. And there's so much information about World War I leading up to it, especially in the old books that were written just prior to it, because everyone knew it was coming. All the media were banging the drums to drum up this war, this coming war. And the propagandists were in full action, writing songs and marching bands to get it all underway. And plus, the, the writers were busy scribbling away, telling people and giving them slogans for the Department of Propaganda for Britain that this would be a war to end all wars, a great war. Whenever you see great in history or a person associated with the word great as part of what they call the mystery religion or the philosopher's religion, old philosophies, one and the same thing, because in ancient times, all rulers were taught and steeped in the philosophy of their time, which was also the mystery religion. And behind it all, all the hogwash, you find out that they truly thought they could become gods, like Alexander the Great, who was taught by Aristotle himself. And nothing really has changed. What is a god? Define what a god is. A god is someone who has power over life and death of others, maximum power. Rulership, in other words, commandments that you could make, that would make, you, make whole nations live or die. Being obeyed by everyone around them, these are the attributes of a god. The demi-urge, you might say, the demi-urgos god, and that's what they achieved, and a tribe to achieve that same kind of status would on earth. Meanwhile, the peasantry are worshipping them as gods. They're worshipping the statues as gods. In fact, the peasantry will worship whatever they're told to worship. As long as you give them some philosophy to go along with it, they make some kind of sense to them. So therefore, what I'm telling you is the art of ruling whole nations and empires is ancient. It's a science. And the ability to give a public, a fake reality is not new whatsoever. It's as old as the hills. 
as they say. Back in Britain, which is a great example for the whole thing, you had corporations, international corporations, set up with the British, British East India Company as early as the 1500s, in cahoots with the Dutch East India Company, the relatives ones, for Holland. And they simply went on from there. Every war they were involved in involved all their own national and international corporations. The 20th century was the greatest boon of all because they could use high technology at the time, uh, all kinds of weaponry, aircraft, bombers, and literally make a mint. And to supplement the income of these private corporations, which were owned by the British elite already, you see, they would create shell corporations or crown corporations, they called them. They still have them in existence today. All the British Commonwealth countries has shell or crown corporations. Something so secretive that even the CBC Canada couldn't get in to find out what they are or who owns the limited shares which they're told are available but not to the public. Back in the 80s, we saw that this system kind of rear its head a bit above the waters and give us a glimpse of how it really ran because they put in Margaret Thatcher. I say they because it wasn't the public who put her in. In fact, her manager was the same PR team. They made up the image for Ronald Reagan. They sent them over to Britain to make up her image as well. And so much went on during that time. But Thatcher basically put so many laws out there that small private businesses could not keep up with the paperwork involved to keep government happy and to keep all the taxation departments happy. And most of them went under. People who didn't get a great income but they were self-sustaining were put under by the government itself. And that was around the same time that the World Health Organization or the United Nations farming organization, agricultural organization, they said that farming was too important to be left to farmers. Then came the great push to put farmers out of business and the big agri-food businesses came in and bought them for peanuts and took them over. Warfare strategy, that's what you do in a warfare strategy. Control the food and you have the people buy the short and curlies. I was looking into what's going on with the United Nations today in the Department of Food. And there are so many links to what's really been, been said. You'll find the United Nations, they go on and on and on about helping the poor. There's too many poor people who are starving across the world. And in the same breath, they'll tell you they must eradicate poverty. By 2015, apparently, every country signed on to eradicate poverty. Well, you eradicate poverty by eradicating the poor. Because in the same United Nations declarations on all of their future work is written in there they're going to empower women and give them access to basically abortions the world over, free access. 
And you, you, you say to yourself, now what has that got to do with food? Well, obviously the big uh, concern at the top since eugenics or eugenic societies set up and funded the United Nations into existence. They've always been on about this Malthusian concept of too many people, especially the wrong kind of people, and how they'd have to drastically reduce their numbers. Now, in those United Nations documents, they go on and on and on about the year 2015, and how after that there's going to be a sharp decline in population. Don't tell you why. It's just going to suddenly decline, and then by 2030 or so, another massive decline in population. You cross-reference that, the articles from the United Nations itself, and you look into the Department of Defense's projection for the next 30 years, and lo and behold, they have the same thing in their trends and things to come. They all know something we don't know. And they're very, very sure of it. So how would they reduce drastically the population? They either make abortion mandatory everywhere across the planet, which has been discussed, with authorized breeders only, which has also been discussed. Or they start culling off the public even faster than they're dying off now with all these diseases that broke out since the 60s onwards. And the other way is to go after the food supply. Now when they set up United Nations, they gave them a, an agricultural department or organization as you call it, and the head of it said at the time that food had been used as a weapon in the past and it would be used again. Very important thing, food. Things we take for granted, food and water. So much for granted, we don't even question why they've changed and altered the very food that we eat. Here's an article to do with what they're going to do with food worldwide. Now, the United Nations eventually said, too, that they would be in charge of distributing the food to every state or nation in the world in an attempt to coerce them into population control. So if your population didn't drop enough, then your food wouldn't increase that they'd give to you. Now, this is from the Wise Up Journal. And it starts up with uh, an article from The Guardian from the 22nd of November 2008. It says, rich countries launch great land grab to safeguard food supply. States and companies targeting developing nations, small farmers at risk from industrial-scale deals, rich governments and corporations are triggering alarm for the poor as they buy up the rights to millions of hectares of agricultural land in developing countries in an effort to secure their own long-term food supplies. The controversial rise in land deals could create a form of neo-colonialism with poor states producing food for the rich at the expense of their own hungry people. Rising food prices have already set off a second scramble for Africa. This week, the South Korean firm Daewoo Logistics announced plans to buy a 99-year lease 
on a million hectares in Madagascar. Its aim is to grow 5 million tonnes of corn a year by 2023 and produce palm oil from a, for a further lease of 120,000 hectares. That's 296,000 acres. Relying on a largely South African workforce production would be mainly um, earmarked for South Korea, which wants to lessen dependence on imports. This 99-year lease business is an odd thing. I mean, where in international law does it come from? 99-year lease. That's what Britain had on Hong Kong with a deal with China, a 99-year lease. And, of course, they gave it back to China when it expired, regardless of the government changing hands. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just before the break, I was mentioning how in the 80s, the 70s and 80s in Britain, the big corporations started taking on new employees. These employees used to own their own small businesses. And I even had relatives who made storm doors and windows in a double garage, pounded the streets and sold them, installed them, until over half their day was spent filling in forms for government. And down they went, under they went, and eventually this relative ended up working for the, the biggest manufacturer of the same items internationally. That's what happens to them. Well, you see, the same idea was to go for food. Food was next. And they're going after the entire supply of food for the whole world. I read articles a while back there, maybe a month or two ago, about the Rothschilds buying up thousands of farms across India. And that was from mainstream media. And how the big chemical food businesses were involved in this too. And with the Monsanto and all of that crowd that polluted so much of the groundwater with their pesticides, it's almost like walking out and leaving behind you a nuclear waste dump because that's what they'll turn it into. What are they really up to? What are they really up to? Well, we know, you see, once you own all of the food, it's easy to bring every individual on the planet, if necessary, to their knees. They need food. And the best way to ensure that, that you're under their thumb is to get rid of the farmers in your area or even ultimately in your own country if you belong to some of the Western countries and make you dependent on them from abroad. And this article here I'm reading is from The Guardian. It says here, after about this massive purchasing of thousands of acres of land across the planet, since these deals can be purely commercial adventures on one level, but sitting behind it is often a food security imperative backed by a government, said Carl Atkin, a consultant at Bidwell's Agribusiness, a Cambridge firm helping to arrange some of the big international land deals. The massive lease is the largest so far in an accelerating number of land deals that have been arranged since the surge in food prices late last year. On that part of the article, I'll mention go into the Royal Institute of International Affairs website and see how long they've been working on the coming food shortages and all of this stuff for years with their own particular specialist think tanks. 
according to diplomats, the Saudi Bin Laden Group is planning. Now, that's the Saudi Bush Bin Laden Group, because you'll find the Bush Bin Laden Consortium in this world of massive coincidences, almost cartoon coincidences, are also the same group. And not only into farming or owning farms, but also into building bomb-proof shelters across the planet and have been for about 30 years. It says here is planning an investment in Indonesia to grow basmati rice for tens of thousands of hectares in Pakistan have been sold to Abu Dhabi investors. Even China, which has plenty of land, has begun to explore land deals in Southeast Asia. Laos, meanwhile, has signed away between 2 million to 3 million hectares or 15% of its viable farmland. Libya has secured 250,000 hectares of Ukrainian farmland, and Egypt is believed to want similar access. Kuwait and Qatar have been chasing deals for prime tracts of Cambodia rice fields. Sellers in developing world governments desperate for capital in a recession. So the poorest countries uh, are selling them off. And even though I mentioned all these other countries that are buying it up, don't be fooled by the countries. There's big corporations in those countries that want ownership of the food. This article goes on. As I say, that's from The Guardian, but it's in the same article as Wise Up Journal. I said, Elitus Bertrand Russell, third Earl Russell, from 1872 to 1970, a Nobel Prize winner, worked on the education of young children, was also an award winner of the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. He is a highly respectable man by the excessively rich dominant minority. In his book, The Impact of Science and Society, 1952, he recommended something a new global society is now mentally prepared to accept. To deal with this problem, increasing population and decreasing food supplies, he said it will be necessary to find ways of preventing an increase in world population. If this is to be done otherwise than by wars, pestilence and famines, which he advocated as well, all of them, it will demand a powerful international authority. This authority should deal out the world's food to the various nations in proportion to their population at the time of the establishment of the authority. If any nation subsequently increased its population, it should not on that account receive any more food. The motive for not increasing population would therefore be very compelling. What method of preventing an increase might be preferred should be left to each state to decide. Now, that was also parroted at the United Nations around the same time that he said it. The reason being that Bertrand Russell was a part of this big, massive organization that basically gave us Plato's cave and designed the cave we're now living in, in fact. We are the inheritors of this cave. It says here, from Reshaping the International Order Report, 1976, American Secretary for Agriculture, who has observed food as a weapon, is one of the principal tools in our negotiating kit. Page 29. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Clay Fox, this is Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. I'm reading an article from Wise Up Journal, which took some of its story from The Guardian, because these are current events, these, uh, these news articles on the massive sudden takeover. Nothing happens suddenly, remember, at the top, especially when you have all these governments working in concert at the same time. This is to do with a planned takeover of the world's food supply, which in turn is used to control population. See, it's not enough that in the same documentation they tell you there's too many people. It's not enough to tell you it's expected to decline rapidly in population by 2015 and further massively by 2030. You see, it's not fast enough for them. You understand these guys are deadly serious at the top because population control is a part of government and always has been for thousands of years. To continue this article here, it says, from reshaping the international order report, something you should look at. It was written in 1976 after Kissinger came out with his enemy to the state being overpopulation and all the all the different agendas that came out of that was, was uh, mainly targeting the third world, but not just the third world countries. But anyway, it says here, and that was from, he's from the American Secretary for Agriculture from that particular international order report, who observed food as a weapon. It's one of the principal tools in our negotiating kit. It says here underneath here, potato blight, phytophthora, infestans, it spread from America to Europe in 1844, to England and then to Ireland in 1845, but it didn't cause famine anywhere. Ireland did not starve for potatoes, it starved for food. Ireland starved because its food from 40 to 70 shiploads per day was removed at gunpoints by 12,000 British constables reinforced by the British militia, battleships, excise vessels, coast guard, and by 200,000 British soldiers. There are 100,000 there at any given moment. Britain sees from Ireland's producers tens of millions of head of livestock, tens of millions of tons of flour, grain, meat, poultry, and dairy products, enough to sustain 18 million persons. It says here, as no Jewish person would ever refer to the Jewish oxygen famine of 1939-45, so no Irish person ought ever refer to the Irish Holocaust as a famine. And why did they do that to Ireland? Well, you see, they already decided under John Mill and other great economists for the British government that Ireland was a write-off and a hazard to future stability of the empire. They didn't think that the Irish themselves could come into an industrialized era. Therefore, they simply created farm produce, which was plundered by Britain to feed its massive armies all across the empire. They also used the starving populations to populate the United States and built that up over the years in time for the Civil War. They came off the boats and straight into uniform. It's quite an amazing history, but remember the losers never get a chance to write their history. 
they tried to kill it off. In fact, after the rebellion in Scotland in 1945-46, it was forbidden to wear tattoo or speak the Gaelic language on pain of death. With one exception, you could join the British Army in a Scottish regiment, new Scottish regiment, and go and fight for the empire. That's the reality of history. To continue with this article, Jim Jill Bell, a chairman of the IAHS, that's the Irish Association of Health Stores, said Irish consumers' concerns about the direction of European Union is heading in as being influenced significantly by the impending restrictions on natural health products. With over 60,000 consumers sign our petition on Irish health stores to register our concerns over EU-wide vitamin and mineral dose restrictions likely to hit us in 2009 or 2010. You see, they've done this all over Europe. And that ties in with the, with the article on the big food takeover at the United Nations. They have that Codex Alimentarius in there. And they don't tell you why they want to restrict the public's availability of vitamins and minerals. Well, we know what it is because with all their chemicals, they might grow big spuds but there's nothing in them. They're lacking in the vitamins and minerals because they use the same land over and over again. And they don't want a healthy, sharp-minded population in this time of total control. They also don't want a strong and healthy population in a time of coming chaos. They want a manageable starving population, preferably, so you'll do what you're told in order to get your rations. It's quite something what's really happening across the world. In Britain, again recently, a poll was done by the Census Bureau, and they tried to entice the public to fill out this, all this questionnaire. One of the questions was, do you feel confidently prepared for an emergency such as a, a pandemic flu, and so on and so on. But why would the government be giving out these polls, doing polls to do with something that may or not be introduced into the public, such as the bird? And what could the public do anyway? I've read on the air that the document that was supposedly available to everyone in the NATO countries, including Britain, that includes Canada and the U.S. And I remember it was a Man Alive study report that tried to get a copy in this documentary. They showed you uh, that it was written and said that it was freely available at all post offices, libraries, and so on. They couldn't find a single copy. And so they wrote to the government and requested one. When they got this public access information copy to them, half of it was blacked out, and they showed you on Television, it had all been blacked out. But what was left in was bad enough because it said that during times of disaster such as plague or radioactive fallout, NATO's job and the military's job was totally and completely to contain infected people within an area, not to help them, but to contain them until they were no longer a threat. What does that mean? That means till you're dead. I said any individual or groups of people bursting out 
of the ring of confinement were to be shot on sight. And any groups breaking out were to be bombed from the air and sprayed with serious gas. That's what the governments have on their agenda for the public, should any of this actually happen. You know, we've been fed propaganda our entire lives. A fake reality our entire lives. We're given the standard fictional shows, as Jack E. Lowell said in his book Propaganda, and about cops and detectives and agencies that deal with making you safe. They have lots of these new series out now on the border. And all these young people pretending they're a bit older, very trendy, very with it, are rushing all over the country or the world trying to save your lives for you. All utter fiction. All complete pablum. Because the documentation, as I say, that's coming down, but is available to the public, gives you a drastically different picture altogether. How can you possibly have double think? How can you believe you are in a free country and even part it to other people when every individual, not just in this generation, has had data collected on them from birth to death? Data about things that you wouldn't even remember about yourself. MI5 had a routing organization for all electronic messaging. They had a routing in their building for every provider, service provider for the Internet in Britain. Nothing was crossed between people, between computers, without them having a record of it and accessing it. This is long before 9-11 came along long before they hoisted the terrorism flag. And agency after agency has its own specialized department dealing with different aspects of your life. That's the same in every country in the so-called civilized world. We're all like cloned countries of each other because it's a standardized system. And yet people can live in doublethink. The ability to hold two opposing opinions in their head about the same topic at the same time. You see, the art of governing people is always the art to give them a fake reality. We hear the myths about good Queen Bess and jolly old England and how Queen Elizabeth I was a, a wonderful queen. Nothing again is further from the truth. Uh, this woman, after the Spanish Armada invasion, kept the ships at sea until plague broke out and people were dying with scurvy and lack of food and so on. And it was, they were ordered to stay offshore because the Queen and her Chancellor or Chancellor said there wasn't enough money in the kitty to pay them. And how did they get most of the people to man those ships? They were press-ganged from the poor, press-ganged into the ships, or 
slugged over the head and did wake up on board. And there are reports from her, her admiral of the day coming back with pleading reports for them to bring in the ships and save the men. And the queen's kept saying, no, 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 we can't afford it. Can't afford it. You see, that's the reality of the world in which we live. And believe you me, under this facade of civility and civilization was somehow evolved from then. Nothing but nothing has changed. In fact, it's worse. It's worse because we have panels and agencies and associations of professors and foundations and so on, all working for this elite establishment today. It's bigger than ever before. Bigger than ever before. So what are we taught to do? We're taught to simply obey a system and have fun and play as children. We are totally estranged, estranged completely from our environment and the reality that really is going on around us. Completely estranged. And the media's job is to keep you estranged, to keep you in a different fantasy world where you're worried about Madonna's divorce. While these big foundations, big movements, big planned international conferences go on to take over your food supply and to find ways to, by every means possible, bring down the populations of the world. And again, the average person will think, well, they don't mean me. If you're asking a person, why, why wouldn't it mean you? They say, because I'm good. Now, ask them to define good. What would they tell you? They'll tell you, well, I obey all the rules. As though that somehow was a criteria to be saved. The rules keep changing, but the thing is they keep obeying them. They'll be saved, and nothing again is further from the truth. I read from Charles Galton Darwin last week where he said himself that lots of people would apply to come through to be the chosen ones, he said. And most of them are entirely wrong. You don't have the right stuff. What did he mean by that? You didn't have the pedigree breeding. You didn't have generations of selective special breeding. Generations is the key. Because under eugenics, you might be a genius, but your offspring, because you were not bred properly, you're a freak, in other words, a throwback, your offspring might be an idiot or a troublemaker. But only by guaranteeing selective breeding could you pretty well guarantee safe offspring who would be saved and come through into the brave new world. They're going across the world now, as I say. They've already stored their seed supplies with real seeds in special bunkers deep underground, deep inside islands, even in the sea. They have quite a few of them worldwide. They have their underground shelters ready for any particular calamity that they might unrelease on the world or natural disasters and so on. They've made sure of their own perpetuation and survival. And we paid for it all. All of the building of it, all of technology, and all the supplies are going to sustain them should anything go wrong but they're not stopping there because if nothing does go wrong they're already preparing to bring the populations down one way or another 
by 2015, and again with the second wave in 2030. It amazes me, you know, in the movies, in Hollywood movies, the loving couple, if you can find any today, are telling each other they'd love to have a child, and so they plan it all by themselves. And yet here are these organizations planning to sterilize us all and actually doing it. They're planning to, to decide whether you should have a child, are you clone-worthy or not. And we sit back and feed on the poison teat of the television, the greatest propaganda tool ever devised. And the, the masses of junk that fill the newspapers every day with trivia, not even new trivia, it's rehashed trivia. They've even had programs on the CBC about rehashed trivia. How they'll scour through their banks for stuff they've used before and put it back in again. Trivia. That's what they said they'd do 50 odd years ago. How they would take the people out of the loop without, out of the concern about their own destiny, their own creation of destiny. Their involvement in big planning was to train them to leave it to the experts. And once you had done that, then you would simply feed them nothing but trivia. Nothing at all but trivia. And they've done it so well, the rats in the maze cannot see the bars around the perimeter. The unified sheep field theory. We're back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix. Before I go on to this other document, look into also irishholocaust.org and you'll get an interesting alternate history of what happened in Ireland. And it's quite fascinating and well, well documented. Look into Rome Declaration on World Food Security. You see, they're calling it security now, food security. You've got to understand that security can be seen from two sides of the prison bars. That's how it's written, you see. We, the heads of state and government, or our representatives, gathered at the World Food Summit at the invitation of the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, reaffirm the rights of everyone to have access to safe and nutritious food. What utter liars, eh? Consistent with the right to adequate food and the fundamental right of everyone to be free of, from hunger. Because the UN and the World Bank and all these guys at the top have forced the chemical farming in all the third world countries and they can't pay back their loans. They also deplete the soil because they're not allowed to farm the old way of leaving fields fallow for a few years. They reuse chemicals. And now they have to buy the seeds, go cap in hand to the seed masters, the big boys in Monsanto and so on. You know, in Monsanto, how they got it across in India, when the men would not bow down and accept this new system and stop using their old seeds and go and get the modified ones year after year. 
they bypassed the men a think tank was set up to study the men anthropologists were used you see in war they have them attached to the American military for instance in Afghanistan and they came back and said so we can get to the female the female works in the fields too and they came up with these, this massive campaign showing them a nice pair of hands on a beautiful woman stuff they'd used to sell soaps to Britain and America back in the 50s and said we'd like soft hands not scaly and all well if you can convince your husband to accept this modified stuff and he can spray it for pe- with pesticides you won't have to go out there weeding and killing off and taking off the bugs off the plants that's how they got round the men and the women nagged their husbands now thousands of the farmers went under and lost their farms. Many of them committed suicide. It's a plague of suicides in India. Before the Rothschilds then moved in, they buy them over for peanuts. It's a real world, you see. It's not pleasant. It says we pledge our political will and our common and national commitment to achieving food security for all and to an ongoing effort to eradicate hunger in all countries. Eradicate hunger. Sounds good if you don't think about it too deeply. Eradicate hunger with an immediate view to reducing the number of undernourished people. That's more truthful. Reducing the number of undernourished people to half their present level. No later than 2015. Think about it. Think about it very, very carefully. I think that's the music coming in for the end of the show. Now remember, donate to me. You see it from my website how to do so. That keeps me going. So from a very snowy Ontario, Canada, from Hamish the dog and myself, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. 